Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. On this episode, the doc interviews former Paisley Park engineer Dave Hampton and discusses the Vikings halftime tribute, the Emmys in memoriam, and the October tribute concert ticket sales. And now, dance, dance electric, it's almost time to go, Dr. Funkenberry. Mm, so funky, Ida. Thank you so much for that. Turn it up. Now available on iTunes and your peer-to-peer distributors. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. Chris, what's going on? What's up, Doc? How you doing, man? What's up, Doc? I'm excited. This is, this is going to be a great episode. Yep. We have a great interview with Dave Hampton, who uh, worked with Prince Engineer, on some stuff that he Engineer wanted for Paisley. Paisley Park. Yeah. Yep. Exciting. So we're going to get to that. Real quick, just have a few things iTunes, please subscribe, get it down, get our reviews going on, get on Stitcher for your non-iTunes users, just keep leaving us reviews, pump us up. We're at 47 reviews, we need to get to 50. We need we need a few more reviews just to get more. That'll put us in the in the rankings, so right. you need to have That's a certain amount need. of reviews, yeah, so help. So then we're going to do really quick, just cover some stuff that has happened. We talked about on our special episode that we had about the Prince Tribute Concert. With John Mayer, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. Uh, the MPG, members of Third Eye Girl in the mix. Some other things, Anita Baker. Those tickets went on sale Monday. How'd it go? Sold out quite quickly, wow. but a lot of scalpers got it. Mm. And now it lets you appreciate what Prince was trying to do for the fans, and it gave them headaches as well, but at least the true fans were getting it instead of scalpers marking up from. Tickets that were from nineteen ninety nine to two to one hundred fifty bucks, and Ticketmaster does scalp their own tickets with special packages. Then you have StubHub, who's a division of Ticketmaster, selling a lot of other tickets for up to eleven seventy five. But it's sold out now at the Excel Center. But they didn't. They do. They did. I saw something where they had to. They're trying to thwart the the scalpers somehow, right? They're trying in the way of like you can't, you know. You're not going to get your tickets through the mail till October 6th. So if you guys are traveling there, you may want to switch it to will call. And they won't let stuff be done until 48 hours before picking up the tickets, hoping that'll thwart some of the scalpers and some of their tries for it. So this weekend was quite huge with a few things happening at the exact same time. The Minnesota Vikings game and the Emmys. Minnesota Vikings game, they were having a Prince tribute at halftime which was going to have some of the MPG along with the Steels. Now, what's interesting is, is sure, in Minnesota, the Minnesota Vikings' new stadium, I'm sure that people were wanting the Vikings to score the first touchdown. That's not what happened. However, what's interesting, and a lot of people missed it, that were watching the game, probably hoping to see the halftime or whatever, the first touchdown pass was from Rodgers to Nelson. Albeit R O D G E R S, but it sounds like Rogers to Nelson and Prince's full name, Prince Rogers Nelson. That's just a little too weird. That's crazy. There's no such Unreal. thing as coincidences. So nuts. And the Vikings won the game, albeit a very more princely score would have been 31 21, but maybe <laughs> he's saving that for the playoffs. Could you imagine? <laughs> so then halftime comes. They did this eight-minute thing with their four minutes into it. Chris Carter and several other people, they went live. I was telling people to get to sign up for Periscope 
look for it on Facebook Live yep. stuff that if the, the profile is public, you'll be able to find it. And that's exactly what happened. And that's what I did. Thanks to you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And they did with the Steels singing Purple Rain and a little bit of his guitar playing from the Super Bowl. I held. That was tough. That was I'm look. They did him I'm right. A, I'm a grown man, but as soon as I saw the 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 guitar behind the curtain from Super Bowl, that was it. I was. And toast. you know what? What's so frustrating Waterworks. is he was supposed to open up that stadium August 13th. He was supposed to be the one to play it for the first time. But um, yeah, it was a beautiful tribute. And then they do the Emmys, and then here's Tori Kelly doing Hallelujah, and people are like. Why is Tori Kelly doing it? What's her Prince connection? Prince, I went. Oh, there's other people that passed. She was chosen, but she did meet Prince and hang out with Prince. And during rehearsals, she got kind of emotional when she saw his image being used. And we thought maybe it's just a photo. Oh no, Prince is the last person they show that passed. And then they freaking do the Super Bowl performance where he's tumbled, touches his chest, and then bends down. Ah, heart wrenching moment. And look, this episode is just coming out on the fifth month anniversary of his passing. Five months it's only been? Are you serious? Feels like it was yesterday. I can't tell if it's yesterday or I can't tell if it's been five years because of how much stuff has been going on. It's just so redonkulous. Um, But hopefully this episode will let you guys get through that. We're going to be covering more things. we got more new music coming up from Shelby J., uh, Liv is doing a few shows now. We got Elisa in the mix. Andy's still doing her Monday music stuff. We're gonna be having that going on. But right now we have a really great interview with Dave Hampton, who is an engineer for Paisley Park. Hopefully we can just be sad for a moment about the Vikings halftime show and the Emmys, but just get on to a really great and in-depth interview with Dave about Paisley Park and the work that he's done there and what can maybe expect when the things open up. So we're going to get to that. Thank you guys for sticking around. Much love. And uh, here's Dave. And here we are with our very special guest today, Dave Hampton, who was working with Prince on some ideas that he had to turn Paisley Park into a museum. And we just watched a really cool video of uh, things that Prince wanted in place for Paisley Park, but I'm not going to waste any more time talking myself. Dave Hampton, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Glad to be here and uh, talking with everybody. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. And we're going to have some questions from the fans. And this is what this is all about, is you want to make sure that what's happening with Paisley with it opening on October 6th, 2016, is what he would want to happen and what he wanted for the fans. Correct? Yeah, I think I think all of us do. All of us who've been involved in any way, shape, or form with the creative side of what he was doing, in any capacity, want to see uh, want to see his vision and stuck to, and we want to see his uh, his legacy respected and, and really curated properly. That right. that's the that's the the largest thing for me. Currently, I deal with the estate of Miles Davis, and I previously I've dealt with uh, Herbie Hancock and several other jazz legends and. You know, it's real important how we curate the the all the things that are left by our modern masters, mm-hmm. and so that from from my aspect, just as somebody who's a providing service for him for years, 
it's just very important that everything be done properly. And I, I realize it's, it's, it's hectic. I realize all the things that we've observed. You know, we, we, we all don't know the intricate details, and I'm sure there's a million and one lawyers that, that want to siphon off and say any different thing they want to say. But the reality is there's a select few people that had the honor of being around him creating Mm-hmm. and being in communication with him like yourself mm-hmm. and um those were his family as well right now how did this all happen how did you get in contact with prince or how did it all <laughs> go down it's always a mystery well what happened was um i i spent um 12 years working with herbie hancock and uh i was always an independent when i worked with him and so it allowed me to work on other projects and i worked with um uh, a couple of famous old school musicians who said, hey, man, we're going to call you guys. We're working on something for CBS. And uh, can you curse on air? <laughs> Go right <laughs> bottom, ahead. Bottom line, it was <laughs> Wawa Watson. So anybody knows Wawa, he says, we're going to call you motherfuckers. And we're gonna, <laughs> we want you to work on this project. And the project was called Maxwell. Right? Huh. And so myself and Daryl Diaz were, were picked to fly out to New York and work with Maxwell and with uh, Mike Pila and and uh, some of the crew from um, Sade mm-hmm. and, and to put together the debut album and, and just all the things that the, the public would be seeing as the artist called Maxwell. Right. And then later on, the tour started. Uh, and when the tour started, um, we started working with the tour people, and that's when I met uh, Alan Leeds, who was Maxwell's manager for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I met Scotty Pekowski, later Scotty Baldwin, and mm-hmm. uh, Michael Bland. So just just had a chance to meet all these real colorful people who had this this purple past, right? And right. and hear all these stories and everything. And you gotta realize by this time I'm in my early forties and mm-hmm. and I'm I'm like I have not had a Prince experience. I've only I think I saw him one time at a roller rink in LA doing his thing. And uh <laughs> <What>? No no <laughs> no he, he there was a very famous roller rink that, that Cher owned and it was called uh, Flippers in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And he actually did a concert there. And Long blew everybody's ago. mind. Wow. And, but I was into I was into that kind of thing because I was uh-huh. that that's where you learned how to really learn about music was that whole Sunset Strip area and every, everywhere over there West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but it was really cool. I saw it and it blew my mind. And I was like, okay, cool. But I had heard stories over the years. You know, you hear all the the things. And, and that by this time, I'm with Herbie. I'm going like, you know. I don't really need Prince experience. I'm cool. I, I can uh-huh. live that. Let's just get through this Maxwell thing. Well, right. at the end of the tour in '99, you know, we part ways, and as you do when you leave tour, people say, "Hey, man, I'll you know I'll call you if anything comes up, or you'd be really good, man. If something comes up, it pays it, man." A couple years later, 2000, 2003, uh, 2004, uh, New Year's Eve, um, Scotty calls me and goes, "Hey, man, Prince is gonna call you in five minutes." I'm like, "Okay." I haven't talked to him in I don't know how many years. Scotty. So phone rings. Somebody calls and says, yeah, uh, I've got some trouble in the studio. I need to know how much it would cost for you to come talk to me. And I really have never had too many people. I've had, I mean, had three or four people say, hey, come talk to me. So I'm like, okay, yeah, right. Uh, that's Scotty. Scotty put him on a leg. So I, I just named a fictitious price. Yeah, I need this and the business class ticket. And, you know, it, it ended up being... Really him? And Scotty called me back and said, did he call you? Did he call you? I said, no, you called me. He said, that wasn't me. You know, so the next morning I was on a plane. And, you know, I still was hesitant, so I called Herbie. I said, you know, we were getting ready to start possibilities. And I said, uh, Herbie, I got the weirdest call. You know, uh, Prince wants me to come talk to him, man. I said, but we're getting ready to start the record tomorrow. He said, man, you better go. I would. 
So <laughs> he said, "I'll hold the record," you know. So, so right. uh, he, you know, he held the record while while I went to to do the meeting. And since he wanted to talk, I didn't take any tools. Like normally, I'm, I'm a tech guy, right? I'm a tech mm. guy, engineer. I didn't take any tools. I said, "Oh shit, I'm going to talk to Prince," you know. <laughs> so, and uh, I get there, and it's kind of like a slow motion video, man. I arrive late at night. I'm a California kid. I've never seen snow over my head and so the mm. there was snow banks were real high it was mm. pitch dark inside it was pitch dark and he comes out of the pitch dark hallway dressed in all black with leather gloves on and it's like slow motion and i'm just like freaking out i'm going like people ain't gonna believe this shit you know and you know shakes my head says follow me now understand my eyes are still adjusting start walking down the long hallway but it's totally dark with the little white door to studio b at the Mm. end of it so i said okay let's slow down man i can't get with this dark thing you know right go down to the get in the studio and so we're sitting there and he starts describing some of the things i start looking around the studio there's custom api demidio it's an older console but they're they're one of a kind because the guy who did him did everyone different and uh he goes to show me what's wrong with the console and poof little cloud of smoke and the console catches fire, right? Oh, so no. Like, oh, shit. I didn't bring any tools. Because <laughs> oh, no. so at this point, I'm saying to myself, I can either fix it and show him that I'm worth something, or I can just say, hey, man, I didn't bring any tools. I'm sorry. Right. So I, at that point, uh, I think Rick was there, and I said, well, listen, do you have a shop? If you got a shop, I can see if I can find some tools and a meter, and I can probably get it started, you know? Mm-hmm. So I take him to the shop. So they take me to the shop. And the shop is a room. Basically, since 97, the, sc- the, the studio had been closed to the public. And it mm-hmm. was just Prince there and whoever was going to support him in recording. Right. So when something would break, they would remove it from the studio and they would roll it in the shop. Pretty soon, you couldn't get in the shop. So in order for me to get Jeez. in the shop, we had to roll all the broken shit out into the middle of the quad, oh, right where no. his symbol is. You know, uh-huh. So we roll it all out there. I get a screwdriver and a meter and a, a couple other things, and, and I go down underneath the console, get it started, and like, okay, we get to see it, and, and, it's, and it's cool. And like, okay, I get that, and I get that. Take a tour of some of the other rooms, see what's going on. It's, you know, uh-huh. But when he caught fire, he's like, see, that's what I'm talking about. You know, and it, you know, because he had a lot of theories about why the 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 gear was the way it was over the huh. years, and and some of them were true. You know, he used to say, "Oh man, I think some of the stuff sabotaged." You know, and, and hmm. but but that's and, and that goes to a whole other thing. But there were things that we found in there that were kind of funny and suspect, and I laid them all out on the table as soon as we started doing our CSI on everything. I said, "Okay, here's where you're not." You know, you're not crazy. This is what was here. I'll right. show you right here. This is what was here. And I took pictures and everything. I said, okay, here's the buzz that was here, and here's what it was. And and that's a lot of it is just CSI. I was a kind of geeky kid, and when I learned studios, I learned from um, getting late-night jobs in studios in L.A. And then when I was there as the late-night tech, I would go behind the scenes and see how it was made. Right. And I would learn about all the different studio designers. So that's how I learned how to do some of the stuff and I learned about um, Glenn Phoenix who designed the rooms and I learned about the, uh-huh. the difference between Studio A and Studio B. Studio B is a real Glenn Phoenix room. Huh. Studio A is not. It's an understudy of Glenn Phoenix's. And so there are several things about Studio A that are drastically different and there are not a true Westlake room. Right. You know, and so there's a lot of little nuances like that that only, you know, geeky people like me look at. Hmm. But um, <laughs> it, needless to say, when I got there, 
Uh, he gave me full run of the facility and just said, okay, you know, let's start in here. Let's start in here and let's fix this and this. I want to be able to get up on board. I'm going to be doing this musicology thing, but I'm going to fly back and we're going to see what's up. Right. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is going pretty fast. And I'm like, okay, I can do it. He says, okay, one other thing. You got to work in secret. <laughs> right? Of course. You can't use anybody who ever was connected with this facility. Hmm. Now, so I'm no not from, from Minnesota. I'm not from Minnesota. Right. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, let's add something else to it this hard, right? Right. And so and so uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, man, whatever. I'm cool. I'm cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's whatever, man. He could have said one leg tie. But I, yeah, I'm cool. You do it. I do it, man. Because yeah. at the end of the day, um, I had a friend of mine uh, who, who said, man, many are called, but few are chosen. So by the time something gets to me like that, I, it, it's really what I'm supposed to do. It's where I'm supposed to be. And right. if Herbie said go, I should go. I'm, I'm going to listen to the people that I've, I've worked with for the longest and have had an impact on my life. And Herbie opened my eyes a lot. Now, I couldn't have done the six, seven years of Prince without the 12 years of Herbie. Right. Because I was leaving a a place where we were doing a lot of exploratory things, technology-wise, jazz-wise, cutting edge. But we were doing it in jazz budget. Mm. Okay? And by the time I had the impression of going to Prince's, I was like, man, this guy's a superstar man we probably can do the work because i'm doing everything on a jazz budget here we probably right. really do something cool right? right and i used to complain i said man nobody really used a third of what i know because i started early in engineering when, when it, before the automation right i get out here to minnesota he don't want to know all the new stuff he wants all the old information oh no so now i'm i'm doing you know so that's why he used to call me old school and ask me to come in because when the younger engineers didn't know something it's like okay Right. Here we go, <laughs> you know, and so it was just a thing of you know that's why we went heavy on restoring the tape machines. That's why some of the custom machines we built for them, like the custom two inch uh, eight track, some of those things they're one of a kind. But it's something so he could throw back to the years of old of you know how some of these other recording processes were done for some of these famous uh, record labels. You know, right? When I chose my team of uh, engineers. I pick people who were specific to certain eras and certain artists. Mm-hmm. Um, first person I brought in was Khalid Glover. He's an engineer I'd known for a long time, but he he really knew the whole psychology behind the transition into DAWs, Digital Audio Workstation. Right. And he really also was steeped heavily in the Quincy Jones experience because he had worked on We Are the World and worked at Lionshare for Kenny Rogers. So he spent a lot of time there. Um, I brought in another friend of mine, Ralph Sutton. Ralph Sutton is a Motown engineer. Mm-hmm. So he comes from Mr. Gordy's school of, of things. And those are all important because at this point, I'm trying to come up with a winning combination of multiple engineers who are coming from different directions. Right. I brought in another guy I worked with, a point named Ian Boxel. And the reason why I brought in Ian is that Ian was the youngest uh, engineer of all of, of us guys. And Ian had experience as not only a great tech, but as an engineer who had done work with Tupac and had done work in the hip-hop rap genre. Mm -hmm. And so it really helped us cross over. But he knew traditional recording methods. Mm -hmm. You know, that was my thing. Everybody got to know traditional. And then we added a, a fourth engineer because as I did my research, I found that most of Prince's early hits were cut by women who were engineers. And so we had a chance. We we did a we did a, a thing there where Paisley had never run problem free 
with all the studios going, when there were two studios. Hmm. By the time we finished the modifications, we had two, three, three mini studios, a video edit suite, and the two main studios. Hmm. So we filled them all with work to, to make the electrical push it to the limit. We said, okay, we're going to stress test it on the weekend, and hmm. we're going to run full things. And we're also going to test anybody who wants to work here because they want to hire some locals. Right. So there was one guy, I think he was a friend of Takumi's. He never showed, never called. But I had a studio waiting. Wow. So then Morris says, hey, I know somebody who's really good, but she's super serious. I said, man, send her down because we got people waiting. And then this shit is time's money, you know, because we're paying. These are pay I'm paying people to be in there doing music. And what we did is, is Morris and I went into some of the sessions and we actually put problems in there. So I'm testing engineers to see if they can discern the problems. Right. I'm testing music people to see how productive they can be. And I'm testing other people to see if they can just make it run. So I'm just trying to see how strong the local staffing is. And so we got to there. He called me to call, and he found a lady named Lisa Chamblay, who was a local, who was just going to IPR. And um, she was really steeped in recording. She had been there before. And the only time she was there was Studio A was working. So she walked in the door, walked past me, walked right in Studio A. And I'm like, <laughs> well, wait a minute. You're in this other room over here. We had her in one of the smaller studios. Right. But she went in there and uh, found all the problems that we had right away and, and did it. And that's the point. I was like, okay, she's got it. You know. Mm -hmm. And when she handed me all the stuff, she, uh, characteristically, she reminded me a lot of myself when I early on because you know when it's 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 a different kind of thing when you're really into something, uh -huh. and you you just you want to be there you're invested in it, and so she was invested in it to the point of where she was not afraid to talk and and you know subsequently when we got her in there and we put her in the room with him she was she was fearless. She can hang with him, and it wasn't a problem. She wasn't fanning out. She wasn't, you know, cool. she, she knew how to play the role, and, and, and it's, it's a very different kind of thing. But it's a different kind of energy, and he understood how to play to that energy, uh -huh. even with all of us in the room and her in the room, because he would do things like he would ask us, so what do you think? What do you think? You know, as he played something. <laughs> and all of us would say, oh, man, I ain't going to say what I think. You gonna say what you think? You know, huh. she'd go, no, you need to do that over. You know, and, you know, she would speak up, whereas all of us would be a little bit more hesitant because it's that guy. You know, exactly. And, and so he always and so listens he, to women more. Yes, always, always. Yeah, he really knew how to to take that that particular that that female energy and use it and channel it. And it, you know, it was, it was big discussions we used to have on that, which is why there's no surprise. Third Eye Girl and some of the it went to that because the, we we saw demographics changing. As soon as we got into streamed music and purchasing and stuff, mm. you you start to look at some of the realities, which is that the, the people who purchase music more often than not are women. If you look at the numbers of downloadable music, that's who's making the purchases. That's interesting. And has been that for a little while. So if you if you understood that dynamic, you understood it. Sooner or later, people are going to want to see somebody who looks like them. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what he was getting at. Right, exactly. And so these are things that tactically we had talked about way earlier before they even germinated. But it's because we're, we're just openly sharing. You know, when you spend a lot of time together, you're sharing. And I'm used to an environment with Herbie that where we just curated sitting around talking about things other than music. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, I didn't really when I went to work with him. It was I was kind of a fan because I was raised mm -hmm. on jazz music. 
But when we started getting taken to places like the World Economic Forum and UNESCO and TED Talks, and it's a whole different thing because your mind is now exposed to another way to use music as just a tool right. to deal with these other things and, and touch some other worlds. And so by the time I got there, it was very easy for me to express myself if he asked me a question right. because I wasn't confined to just yes, no. Yeah, and and one word I'm scared of answers. I was like, well, where do you want to go with it? You know, what's you know? right. And I ne- I never believed in talking about what's not going to happen. So if he asked me to do something, you know, as much as the guys used to tease me, I used to say, hey guys, you have to be sold out when you go to work with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, I my career has been just artists here, artists here, but I'm always sold out if I agree to work with him. So if he asked me to pink elephants on Friday. I got a bucket of paint in the truck, and I got a tape measure to make sure the fence is big enough. I'm getting the elephants in, man. There you go. I'm not asking why. I'm not asking anything else. And that's that's part of the, I think, the thing that all of us look at when we look at the situation now. We look for that sold-out attitude. Right. right. Because you have to have it. Even, even in his absence, you have to have it in order to serve the mission right, which in this case is curating his legacy. Yeah. Everything that's going on around this situation, us talking right now, is curating his legacy. You know, it's a matter of record. It's 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 important to me because I want to make sure everybody, not only my team of engineers, but the local contractors that I used, huh. are you know they're acknowledged for that time that we spent from 2004 on bringing this place back online to service his needs. You know that. That is crucial. We had some some local craftsmen who were just phenomenal mm-hmm. in helping us find problems during the winter time in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's not it's not that easy to get somebody to come out with snow that high. You know it's it's these right. are all things. And I, again, I'm a California kid, so but I was sold out so much that I spent I spent nights up there. I didn't go to the hotel. I just spent nights. No, I'm up here. Snows up by the door. You can't get out the door. I'm here. Right. And, and I don't have nothing else to do because I signed up to find these problems. So I'm going to find these problems, you know. Yeah. And so you just you just have to have that kind of attitude. But it's, you know, it's fun. You learn a lot. And and uh, it changed my life. It literally changed my life. And here's why. Um, while I was there, I met, I met my, my, my wife. We got married. We have an eight-year-old daughter, right? Uh-huh. If I would have never picked up that phone. Or if I would have said, oh, yeah, you bullshitting Scotty out. Right? She would not yeah. be here. Right? She wouldn't be here. So after I finish, it's so much more than music, so much more than him. Because every time I look at her, it's a reality that I was supposed to go there. Right? Right? So, it, you know, and I love him for what for what he does, his music and the opportunities we had and everything we did. But I, uh, the everything that happens, just like for you, there's stuff that happens for you, all the mm-hmm. same thing. Those times are just for us. And there's no such thing as coincidences. Nothing. Everything happens for Everything a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. You know, and in those moments where he'll say something to you, like he would, he told me, you're good at that. You should do, you know, and he would say something like that. And I'm like, wow, nobody ever said that to me. Mm. And and automatically from there, I, I wrote my first book in five, six weeks. Wow. Right? Since then, I, I've written three other books. And they use as tech books in schools. Hmm. On engineering, but not That's technical cool. how to engineer, how to have the right mindset, how to have a good attitude and how to work with creative people. Right. 
So there's a reason for everybody's pass across, you know. Yeah. Now, the stuff that he was wanting to do, because as well as turning Paisley into a museum, Mm -hmm. and also what you were doing, getting the studios restructured, you mentioned, and this was brought up in the Rolling Stone article, that they're finding these secret rooms or whatever. (laughs) To you... What you told me is that was actually the video editing room, and then there was a layer of wall. Yeah, you didn't want to see it, it. W- it wasn't a secret. You know, I, li- I like the way everybody over dramatizes uh, the norm. Uh-huh. It wasn't a secret. It was just that as as we, he would fly back, and so in order for me to understand what was going on, I have very short time to deal with a design aesthetic, uh-huh. which means uh, somebody's taste. Right. So I would tell him, well, you know what? Tear out pictures for magazines if you see something that's cool. Send it back and, and you know, we'll work on it or, or just give me an idea, color scheme, anything. But I'm not going to hold it up with bothering him with a what color you want. What's this? What's this? Because I'm worried about getting fired if I do the wrong thing. I don't I don't work like that. Right. And, and I've only had three people in my career just say, do what you do. Right. And, and every time, Babyface, Herbie and Prince, do what you do. And the minute I get that call, I'm cool. Mm-hmm. Because then that means they got enough trust in me where I can do what I do and to do what I feel. And so at that point, I was watching him spend inordinate amounts of time and energy trying to video edit off-site. And I would look at the last video edit system that was there, and it was like, hmm, it's crazy. It was because we were coming into the time where Final Cut was, was coming on the scene. So I'm right. like, there's another way to do this. But instead of trying to present him with something and say, what do you think? I just presented him with something that was working. And it was more like what he was used to, which is walking in and having an area that's comfortable and back where you can entertain people, but having a focal point where an editor can sit, take commands from you, and you had a screen that was big enough to see and you had sound that you could big enough to hear. And in that area, we had uh, networked hard drives and everything you need to video edit, but those things, sometimes people don't like seeing the mechanics of things. Sometimes creative people are very sensitive to the frequencies and the electronics that, that go on. So mm-hmm. I created basically a facade where if you press the wall, it would open up and you could walk behind there. And behind there were basically old archive videos of artists that he would like to see, old footage of concerts of his and stuff. And mm-hmm. then you go around and it was actually the new machinery we installed, which was new at that time. But since then, it's, it's gotten even more streamlined. Right. But the whole purpose of it was to have a edit place that was not cumbersome, that he could give commands in, but the guy was still facing ahead. See, the problem with, with everything is that time is money, right? Mm. And so if a video editor is doing his thing, he's just worried about what's in front of him. Right. If he's so enamored or he's distracted by the fact that Prince is breathing over his shoulder, it's not going to work because mm-hmm. he's going to be sweating bullets. So I gave him a place to be in back that was elevated so it was entertaining. It was like an apartment with a, with a lounge couch and everything. You could have people back there, a little refrigerator, a little, the whole thing. But you're in view of the screen and the editor's in his own little area. And then everything is, is there presented so you can see it. But it wasn't secret. You know, it wasn't, it was right. like the two knocks and, you know, was, you know. But I like the way they do that. I, I think we'll see a lot of the, the, the dramatizing. You know, that's one thing I think that, uh, you know, for a lot of us, we wish that early on we would have saw some accuracy in fact checking. Um, the, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm here talking to you is that for the longest we were getting calls from even some of the local craftsmen because they were watching news shows with the architect from 1987 
<laughs> showing our work from right. from 2000, you know, five. So it's like, okay, that makes no sense. Right. You know, that whole thing. It, but but he's not correcting and saying, oh, yeah, that's not my work. This mm. this is something later on. No, he's acting like he did the whole thing and, and not even knowing that they overlaid his vocal on some new footage. So, you right. know, part of the thing is just the accuracy and fact checking. It's just let's make sure everything is cool, what we're doing, what we're saying and mm. and how we're, we're, we're telling these stories and how we're making sure everything is what it is. You know, mm. whether the room was secret, the room existed because he wanted it there. Right. You know, that's I think that's the disturbing thing about the vault, you know, the vault, the vault, the vault. Right. Right. And everybody, what do you think about the vault? Well, I, I had to deal with the vault. Right. So I, I have a whole nother thought about the vault. And I have a feeling that people won't like my thought about the vault. You know, but, but here's my thought about the vault. <laughs> the vault is his. And if he wanted what was in there to be out, it would have been out. And when he wanted us to work on stuff, he brought it out of the vault. Right. And we, and we worked on it or we dealt with it as as it was because being in a vault, being from another time, sometimes you have mm-hmm. to have those skills as well to be able to handle and, and mm-hmm. things that are that delicate. So that is a whole thing that we had to deal with unto itself. We mm-hmm. wanted to go back and work on something to make sure we actually could without destroying it. So there is a whole there is a whole pathology that is in place when you have to deal with archival materials or mm-hmm. materials from the past and those mindsets weren't at play before and so when we came on board I came mm-hmm. I flew back to LA and went to a, a guy I know Dave Wexler at Hollywood Vaults and I bought a bunch of gloves and I bought a bunch of things back to the mm-hmm. crew and kind of gave them a a quick how-to on this is how we have to handle these right. things that come from the vault. Because at that point, you know, uh, once we had created all these plays for him to record, it's a different thing when you're trying to feed somebody and what they want to do is make music. So now they can go anywhere and make music, and they couldn't for so many years. Right. They want to keep doing it. So then they'll bring up something from the past. Oh, yeah, let me hear that. Put that up. Well, you right. got to be able to keep going. Got to be uh-huh. able to keep going. And, and the same thing with, uh, you know, even some of the custom stuff. When we designed Studio 3121, it was it was basically because uh, one day the hard drives came in. Uh-huh. And uh, I was just there my second week, and, and they had recorded in L.A. And the cardboard box comes in with a big hole chewed out of it. Looked like a gorilla hit it on the Samsonite commercial, you know, oh, and kicked yeah. it around. And this is this man's entire digital files being shipped around in a cardboard box. Mm. And so I took a picture of it and I said, man, this ain't never going to happen. You ain't never going to look like this anymore as long Mm -hmm. as I'm here. You can't look like this. You can't. You just for who you are. It's not good. Right. It's not good. So at that point, we started working on something where I'm going, what are the challenges? Well, the challenges are. Can't go everywhere. You can't always get studio time, but mm-hmm. you're isolated and you need access. So I'm like, okay, a lift is this big. It'll normally carry this much weight. Here's how much power we need. You need this. this, this. So I created something that was small enough to get into a lift. And a lift is a European elevator. Mm-hmm. It's not a American elevator. Mm-hmm. right? Narrower doors, narrower things. So it can get into a lift. It can get into an elevator. It can go into a room, it can go into a closet and go anywhere in five mm-hmm. minutes it'll be up and running. It has the power of Studio A at Paisley. So it allows him to create. And any point in time when we when he would come to LA, we'd send that out, it would go to the Beverly Hills Hotel and then we'd mm-hmm. send an engineer out. And then or we'd send two and then they'd rotate. 
Mm-hmm. So all the time he was there, he was creating. All the time he was there, he was creating. The mm-hmm. whole purpose was to never have him be without the ability to create. Right. Which is what you have to do when you when you kind of learn how to to feed somebody who's creative. You know, we got to right. figure out how they like to eat. <clears throat> you like to eat a lot. You know, hmm. and they like to create a lot, but but up until like I said, when '97 happened and everything kind of winded down, and the and the gear was broken, I could see that the minute the limitations happen. When I'm looking, I'm going like, this doesn't look right. You're dressed, you look like Prince, but the machines are broken, right? Ouch! You know, you know no. It, in my mind, that's what I'm saying because you know when you uh-huh. see for a technical person, when I see a Studer and it's got like eight little lights that are on, uh-huh. and they're not eight in a row; they're just one here, two here, four here. You know, it's it's it looks crazy. Like no, no, right. no. <laughs> you know, and uh, but needless to say, you know, we got past that. We were able to re- repair and restore a lot of stuff. But I just think that. There were a lot of things that that uh, they're little things, but there are things you have to pay attention to when you work uh-huh. with creative people. Anybody, right? But for him, especially because you have to kind of understand the kind of person he was. He was very strategic about a lot of things that that he did. I mean, he knew uh-huh. what he wanted. Yeah. Know? When it comes to the vault, we'll, we'll disagree on that for the time being. Oh but no, it, go it just, ahead. It yeah. has to be if if they're going to be messing with the vault, right. it has to be done the right way. Just yeah. like. Recently, there's been a few revolution tracks that all of a sudden are circulating that have never circulated before. Right. Now, I know that would make up a certain album entitled Roadhouse Garden. Mm-hmm. We can't have stuff just be everywhere. There would be some track from 2001 mixed mm-hmm. with one from 85, then one from 2014. It's got to be done the right way. Same with the video collection. Well, yeah, or it gr- should not I'm, be yeah, done I, at all. I'm, I'm agree- I, I agree with you on that. Uh-huh. The problem that we have is, and, and I'll just put it down to the one simple song you wrote, Thieves in the Temple. Yep. You Adrian cannot, knows all about you, that. You cannot uh, properly set up a conversation about how do we do it? How do we do it when everybody is in there uh, salivating over it? Yeah, exactly. Like and, Susan and Rogers w- saying w- that she wants to be the person that does it. I would say for the 80s stuff that she was around for, absolutely. But for the later things, not so much. I I, I think it I think it could be a, a combination of people. I mean, uh-huh. I, I think the honorable thing to do is to to get a collection of, of everyone who actually had access and went inside the vault, and that's a small handful of us, right? Right, and then actually understand what we all understand about archiving and about. Uh-huh. Uh, documentation because uh-huh. the first thing that happens is the minute that anything is breached right let's just take this down a literal road the uh-huh. minute you open up anything that is supposedly sealed uh-huh. you don't document what would look like what happened was it damaged was there you don't do any humidity moisture check you don't do any, you right. don't do anything scientific you just open it up because then you can right right it, it makes everything a little bit harder climb uphill when you're trying to monetize it as an asset mm-hmm. to make it worthy of a legacy situation. Absolutely. And so that, that's my contention on any of this. When Even when I'm approached, and I have been approached by some of the, 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 the folks involved, mm-hmm. if you approach me wrong and it doesn't sound like you understand what you're doing, I'm going to be fearful of standing close to you because you don't know what you're talking about right. and you're approaching me wrong and it and it sounds questionable which makes me then question 
who you're standing with. Right. And so then, and so the only thing I can do is go, well, you know, I'm, I'm work with a lot of legacy situations and, and, mm-hmm. and Miles Davis isn't an unknown quantity. Right. It right. don't work like that. Right. And <laughs> no. I would just say that like, so yeah, Susan <laughs> Rogers to Joshua Welton, the people that were involved in the vault or mm-hmm. were involved with getting tracks, finding tracks. Those are the people you want, but not just one person. Well, I think I, I, I think there wanted. has to be a whole procedure on it because here's the thing: mm-hmm. you you've got so many. The, the vault equals so much to so many. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you have to put it in a pecking order. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to the people who are trying to monetize this for the sake of uh, whatever, uh-huh. you have to look at what their motive is. And again, that's we. This is the part where. We miss him the most because he was very definitive about who he wanted around and who he didn't. See. And so if we just follow the philosophy that we worked with, it'd be very easy when you meet some of these people and you watch their behavior to go, hmm, they don't need to be that close to that. Right? And that's just my opinion. But what the hell do I know? I'm just an engineer. Right. Okay? Who had access to the vault. So. Right. <laughs> it's just, see, like Susan Rogers, as much as I respect her and everything, she seems a little thirsty. The people that I no, would trust I, more. I just read to where she just wanted to be uh, an advisor. So, I mean, I, I but I don't that's know. That's fine, but not the advisor. I'd like it to have more of the other people. See, the people that don't talk. Uh-huh. Like, say, Morris Hayes, and I know yeah. that they had stuff with it. I'd like to see him involved yeah. because I think he's got the right mindset for it, and he's not trying to get the attention mm-hmm. of everything, but he cares enough well, about yeah, the music and, that was and around him for a long time. you have to set up rules time. of engagement around it. I think that's the part where I think everybody would like to see rules of engagement set up around how to, how to function mm-hmm. around something as questionable as access. Right? right. I think if we saw rules of engagement, everybody would be a, free, a breath of fresh air because we'd know there was structure. Uh-huh. If I saw if I saw two or three names of vaults, I know that currently curate and house mm-hmm. some big places. If I saw if I and this is just me, because I if I saw Dave Wexler's name there, mm-hmm. if I saw somebody from from Iron Mountain there, if I if I saw these factions at play. Right. I would go, okay, they're going to at least have a procedure. They're going right. to at least have something going on where there's the bottom line, it doesn't fall below this standard. Right. But there's so much rush to touch mm-hmm. and get it up and get it out and turn it into what may have been Right. that you lose that accuracy by, by just shuffling up all the cards on the table real quick. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of sleight of hand thing that's going on it, it's scary because again that's not that's not what you do that's not what you right. do if you value something if you value something you understand what it is you understand the rules of engagement around it you don't get everybody all in an uproar what are we gonna mm-hmm. do what are we go i don't know i don't know let's come out with something right you know that's not what he right. did you no. know <laughs> now let's take a look at it like this because i was at paisley earlier this year and uh-huh. they were giving tours they had Jesse doing the tours. Uh-huh. They walk everyone through. It was right after his piano and a microphone shows. Uh-huh. So those were being played in the studio with someone was mixing it. Right. And just John like that. Yeah. And just like the video that you yeah. showed me, sometimes you had musicians hanging out and doing stuff. Yeah. So this is stuff that he would want if there was tours going on. Yeah. Is that what's going to be happening? I have no idea. I'm not connected you know, with that in any way. Like, And then the article yeah. says that they are going to be having the studio rented out and doing stuff. And I liked what Omar Baker said, which is Prince's half-brother. And yeah. 
little overweight version of Prince, very eccentric with the way he dresses. A little bit, but Omar is cool. Yeah. But, you know, I liked what he said about we constantly got to have live acts in here and in that small room because if he, if we're still having stuff like that, it's like he's still here. Yeah, kind of like that. I think he understands the power of who his brother was and what he meant to, to, to the creative community. I think also uh, it's good that you have somebody who is in the family who is actually trying to dream a dream because mm-hmm. that's part of it also as well. You have to have that mindset, you know. And Omar is cool. I've, I've met him, talked to him, spent time with right. him. And, and uh, you know, it's refreshing because, he, you know, he's enamored of his brother and, and, you know, and rightfully so. But it's cool the fact that they have, you know, that relationship where it's just, you know, that's that's my brother, you know. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's cool just because, you know, I, I, a lot of us who have those relationships wish it was – it was like that, you know, and so I, I, right. I think it's real honorable. I, but I also think that, uh, you know, in in the rush to do it and and to 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 get things going, I just would like to see the normal things take place. I would like right. to see structure for the family because because mostly any legacy Agreed. situation I've worked with, the main thing that that comes out of it is structure for the family. It doesn't matter what the family did or didn't do or the fact that they didn't necessarily like him it just means that that's who is left and that out of respect for setting things up proper the first thing you do is set them up to win and mm-hmm. so i'm always amazed when i read the articles and i look at everything and there's so much legal this and everybody everybody has some opinion that's legal but nobody is trying to set them up to win it's because they're talking through their lawyers instead of talking to each other. Well, Five not, months later, yeah. still doing that. You they're know, not but on I, the I don't same think page. it's their fault. I think it's part of it is the lawyer. The, the lawyers are in business to disagree. I mean, right. That is the nature of uh, yeah. you know. If you're a litigator, you're not trying to solve shit. Right. You're trying to argue. The more you argue, the longer the bills go. So you know exactly. I they mean, want I'm just it. I'm just being straight. And again, what the hell do I know? I'm just an engineer, right? Well, okay, but but I'm, I'm, you know, straight. but but you can't say some of the things that we read to thinking people without them going, "Hey, that right. doesn't sound right," you know. Right. And and I think that's where a lot of the fan base is. That's where a lot of us are who work with him. Where we just we just would like it to be, you know, just just calm down. Right, it'll be cool. Right. Done right, do it right, or don't do it at all. Well, maybe this time it won't be done right with Graceland being involved with everything, but. Eventually, it'll get done right. And yeah, one that's, question: that's 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 a that's that's a that's a big leap of faith. Yeah, right yeah. now they got a four-year deal. Maybe after the four years, it'll be done correctly, or maybe they'll learn over time. Do right now. One question before we take a short break, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna have questions from the fans that were sent in. Mm-hmm. Saw in the article today from Rolling Stone about that they found, and we're okay. It's okay spilling tea here, so mm-hmm. don't worry about it. <laughs> While amongst people, they're with you. They're saying that we're seeing emails he sent four months before his passing. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say that. That say how he wanted it to be done. He wasn't foreshadowing anything, but he always wanted his fans to come here. He left us a big roadmap. That's their saying about what he wanted for Paisley. What are your thoughts on these uh, so-called emails that they found? With- I, I, well, I, I'm, I'm experienced in the communication techniques of, uh, of working in and around and being, you know, in and around people like that who have who who are large entertainment people right right and there are a lot of creative emailers okay 
And that's the first thing you have to learn about being in and around, especially Prince. That was, the, you know, coming from coming from 12 years of Herbie, it was very simple. I, we knew everybody involved. So we, hey, what do you need? Ah, we're right there. A shout away. Right. So we don't get confused by the email. But the minute we went to Prince, even though there weren't that many physical people, email was the way that people chose to communicate because it created a way to mask intent. That's the best way I can put it. You know, if somebody wanted to wanted to to say something, they leave something out. You know, I to this day, I mean, one of the last things that just triggered me to just go off was that somebody from that camp sent me uh, uh, an email, and in the email, it didn't reference anything about what was talked about. It talked about something as if they wanted to show this email to somebody. And so they put this preamble in the front end of it. It was so disgustingly dishonest mm -hmm. that I had to just basically write to everybody and say, you know what, this just happened to me and it just it's unacceptable. Right. right. And 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 the reason why I did that was because I just needed to know if it was everybody who's in that operation mode of doing unacceptable shit mm -hmm. or it is just this individual. Right. Who's got a green light to do unacceptable shit? Right. And so, but but those are things you kind of have to do because that's part of what comes with the territory. To whom much is given, much is required. But got to realize that that you know everybody out there has this motive. And in most entertainment situations, and this is my little whack theory, most entertainment situations where you have entertainers and they have camps, they have yin and yang principles going. They have really good people, solid, core, earthy, really good people who have intent to do good. Mm -hmm. They got really shitty people who are really good at being shitty. And then you put them together like this, and they, they, out, they try and outdo one another. The good try and be as good as they can. The shitty try and be as shitty as they can. Right. And what happens is they make a ground that's firm enough for the entertainer to walk on and get on stage and do what he does. Because they, because, and here's the philosophy, because you're bringing your own villain. Right. If you bring your own villain to the party, you know what's going to happen. If you just go there and everybody's good, shit, the villain might be sitting on. Right. I'll bring my own villain. Right. So a lot of times in these camps, you'll find that, you know, again, people probably write in and say that guy's crazy. But you know what? I've seen it more often than not. Right. I've seen it more often than not. Where all of a sudden you got somebody who's got to say and they're just going <clears> to <throat> pipe up and say whatever they want. Yeah, you know, whatever. At the end of the day, when it comes time to create music, there's only a select number of people that are going to be around late at night, 3 o'clock right. in the morning. It's always going to be the same. Lazy people don't want to work, so they're not going to put in the time. That's all it is. Most right. of the people that are doing those things are lazy. They don't want to work or they want to try and control the situation. Right. My theory on this whole thing is that you couldn't control Prince in life. You're not going to control him in death. So I don't care how clever they are. I don't care how many legal things they got. If they really think they wanted it to go somewhere, they would have to stop, slow down, and try and, and at least in one time in their life be honorable. Right. Because he's, he's at a place now where you can't control him. You don't know what his possibilities are. You didn't know when he was here. Right. Okay. So, Even and that's so just now. my theory. So. <laughs> And it's a good theory. And right. with that, we're going to take a little bit of a break, an internet break. So don't worry, guys. Okay. You guys will have everything done. And then we're going to get to some fan questions and we'll get to them. Okay. I appreciate your time, Dave. We're going to be continuing this right after this short break. And we're back. 
Now, I know that you wanted to elaborate before we get to the fan questions yeah. about something I said about Susan Rogers. Yeah, I, I, what, I, what I was saying was that, you know, in my research, I know that, that Susan was the one that actually convinced him to actually put a ball there. And so, um, mm-hmm. like I said, my, I always commend, commend everybody for, for doing it proper because that, that's the way it should be. She saw early on she was working with somebody who was very unique and that that was going to be an important right. thing. Um, and, and I just, I just think that, uh, you know, when it comes to something like that vault it's real, like I said, it's really important that, that every aspect of it is looked at in how you address it. But, right. um, you know, I, I look forward to any, any sessions that any of us do where we're all together and talking about the vault and its state then versus its state during the different parts where we all encountered it, because that's right. where you really find out the chronology of what happened when you can do that kind of CSI. Right. You know? Now, the first question we have was was from Jay Noonan, or is that. He had questions about the vault, which we already just answered. Okay. Uh, he wants to know exactly what plans did he have for the fans when it came to a tour, and not just the musicians or whatnot that would play. Uh, the, the tour? Like, say, how it would be open up to the public. Okay. You know, was the, there any ideas? Like I Prince said, the, 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 the 2004... Mm-hmm format that you just that i just shared with you right um the the mandate was simple to bring people in to have them understand the the functionality of the facility right um, the fact that potentially it could still be a working facility absolutely that we also had commercial applications you know it being the largest soundstage in that part of the country mm-hmm. and so movie industry had already uh taken a liking to it and done several full features there Right. So, so it had a long history, and then, like I said, in developing other corporate clients like NASCAR, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, by the time Christine got to finish developing some of the corporate clients, you know, we had a we had Target, we had Best Buys, and then we were doing commercials and stuff. And right. we had, not only that, we had this such a big green screen, we were doing his videos as well. So we were doing right. a lot of the video work for for his videos. Right. And this can be a question that's probably like a yes or no for it, but it's from Barbara. Mm-hmm. My main question is, will Prince's wishes regarding Paisley Park be properly adhered to now he is no longer with us to oversee? Kind of discussed that a little bit, but um, just to give it you know straight what? to the fans. If, if I, you're asking me. If I have right. anything to do with it, it will. Right. It, but, but, but you need to have the right people in the conversation, and so far they don't have the right people at the table. Right. You know. They don't even know the right people's names. <laughs> <laughs> then we have another question from yeah. Hey Georgie Girl, which we don't really need to get to this one, but because she's asking, will Paisley Park continue to operate with recording studio, studios open to all artists and projects? Grace, Graceland is saying that is going to be the plan in spring of 2017 that they uh-huh. will be having acts there. That's what they say now. Uh-huh. Let's see what can be done because you're going to need the right engineers and everything uh, going well, on, I, right? I think you know. I think if Graceland says it, well. By golly, let's see what Graceland does. You know, I mean, let's be honest. And 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 again, I'm not for or against, but um, in the legacy thing, and I think it gets kind of hard every time we say Graceland because we're 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 Im- imagining Elvis curating Prince's yeah. legacy, right? right? So every time we say Graceland, it creates this yeah. this dun dun dun, and 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 is you know uh, you know again thinking people. Don't say things and then not wonder. As I said, when I was asked by reporters about 
Graceland and Paisley Park. I want Paisley Park as far funkier than Graceland will ever be. I don't want them involved. But well, you know, old. again, again, the things that happen that bring all these things to to bear are are fiscal things. These are mm-hmm. these are deals that people cut, and and they're, they're sometimes they have nothing to do whatsoever with what's right and wrong, which right. is what happens. And so that's the part where we all have to kind of drop back five and if we don't have that kind of juice we have to just observe what's going on and we can either be supporters mm-hmm. with our silence or supporters with our thing to wait and see maybe they can pull it off maybe some kind of way the the, the bad becomes the good maybe maybe right. some of these people who probably in life would never be around and maybe they just woke up and all of a sudden they're good people now we don't no, know no. that we maybe you just you know I'm being bullshitting you. Right? Of course. <laughs> no, I'm just saying yeah. that that's this is what people would have us believe. Right. When they propose sometimes crazy sounding shit. See, right? my main thing is if it if it helps the fans heal, the real fans. Right, right. And I'm I, all for yeah, it. And I, I we're all I trying to, to heal too. I want to be what he wanted. Uh, he yeah, wanted. We're all trying to heal too, and that's the hardest part about uh standing at a distance, right? Right. You know. Now, this one's from KGT Cars. KGT Cars. Mm-hmm. The first question is, did he want people to stay out of his apartment? Yes. He wasn't going to be having you access to that. Stop it. Uh, what were his plans for all the instruments he keeps in the basement? Because I, I did see in the video that he did have like all his guitars laid out in one section of the place. Was there going to be maybe... the music store that's down there? Well, we had, we had organized right. it. And uh, when we left in... And, and uh, wrapped it up in about 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. We had barcoded everything, and that whole music area down there was where it's a specific room I know they're talking about that has all the drum kits in it and has all the, the inventory of guitars on the wall. It was a little guitar right. bench where they work on guitars. That was all inventoried and barcoded and, mm-hmm. and secured when we left. Right. And straightened up because a lot of it was just garbage that had been there over the years, and a lot of stuff was just equipment no longer in use. Um, but uh, most of it had been gone through, and then and then uh, the custom stuff. I don't know where all that stuff resides now, but there were custom one of a kind things that you saw in the video. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are all things that were there. They had the place for them on the wall that was all right. So. Hopefully, they'll be doing that. Let, let, again, again, we we hope. We hope right. that everybody is watchful. We hope that everybody is responsible. We hope they're listening to this well, as well. Yeah, they're listening to this, and they're going to try and you know do whatever people like that do. They're either they're really do it the doing right their way. job and do it the right way, and, and or they'll try and say, "Oh, Dave's full of shit." But, right. Know, whatever. <laughs> you know. Now, <laughs> but then, bottom line is that it's their responsibility to do it right, and right. and and I'm all for them doing it right. Um, and everybody has my number if they want to do it right. And and I, I've given them everybody's number. Every team member that I mentioned tonight, I've given, right. given them full access to because that's all you need. You just need people who care. If you cared about them in life, you'll care right. about them in death. You know? Exactly. And this one's from Ray Official One. I can kind of answer this one. I just want to make sure that's answered. They're like, will the policy of no phone slash recording devices still be enforced? They should be because then they can make a little bit more profit at the end when they're freaking taking you to the gift shop of selling you a poster or freaking program of it I'm instead of that. I'm going to let you live on that answer all by yourself. You know, I, I, they I'm better just, not have recording devices all I can no, say. No, I, I, I think it's a great policy, but I'm, I'm uh-huh. just I'm just not with a, hey, let, let's go let's go walk through to the gift shop. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's not a journey to the gift shop. Okay. 
uh, it is it is a place that is magical. It's very special, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of great stuff happened there. And hopefully they can get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, the gift shop, that's great. I'm glad they're going to have it. But but the Tchotchkes has another role. Right. You really, if you really loved him and his music and the experience, then take your time and enjoy it. And for whatever has been prepared for you, you know that's that's the best I can say. To right. Be support is something that I don't know what it's going to be. You know? Yeah. Just some of these questions we just really what are they? can't answer. I'm not. I'm not. What are they cursing us out or something? No, they're just. They want to know if you read fan mail or stuff like that. That does nothing to if, do with Paisley. He read fan mail. If fan I, mail. What the Prince, if you're right. Like, see, this is what we're dealing with Paisley, uh-huh. and they're bringing yeah, up other stuff. Um, okay. You know, geez, there, you know, some people, they, they're they asking some of the questions that we covered about the vault. Okay. That seems to be. Uh, what about the, um, the addition, the, the building addition? Yeah, that was one thing that I saw that they asked was the they wanted to know if you knew what the egg was or whatnot. I knew about the storage place. That's it was a, always, the circular it was always thing. an unfinished building. When, yeah. When we were there, it was an unfinished building that you had access to, to via underneath. And right. um, the intention several times, the only thing was going to be a restaurant one time, it was going to be something else another time. And uh, the only thing that was in there was, was boxes of old clothes and, and some other uh, things that were being used for storage. But it was, it was uncompleted. It was uncompleted. So it is not the kind of place where you, you necessarily would, for safety's sake, it was not the kind of place where you needed to be wandering around because there was no safety rails. There was, you know, it was a second floor, but it was exposed. So boxes had been placed there just so that they were not on the ground level. Because at that point, you're subterranean when you're on the ground. And so wintertime, anything, you know, you know. Right. Just trying to get to the, to the accurate question because people were like, you know, we're from Australia. How far in advance we have to book tickets and, um, Again, we put yeah, up this, the this question. Is, yeah, this is for some. You know, <laughs> you probably need to interview some of those other key people. I'm a key We're person gonna from get the past. That. Yeah. <laughs> the main thing is, is just the amount of emails yeah. and Facebook messages and Twitter messages. People are constantly wanting me to call them on the phone and talk with them about stuff. Yeah. Uh, I barely enough time for my own life, let alone other things, only sleeping four to five hours a night to yeah. get stuff done. I don't really have time to be calling people or giving out my number. Just trying to say that right here. You know, we all know of people's concerns, you know, you know but we're trying to go I'll through say, it. I'll say while you find the next question, uh-huh. I was reading in the billboard article, they were saying something about the doves that are going to be in the main area where they were. The doves were always on the third, on the yeah, third floor. Yeah, the top in floor. The corner, in the top yeah. corner. In the yeah. Floor, you know. And now that's going to be moved, but they're trying to right. say like but it that's, was always that's there. Not where they live, no, so. we would hear them cooing when we'd yeah. be talking and having conversations. That's, that was, that was our thing when, when somebody would call. They said, what's that noise? I said, that's the sound that doves make when they're crying. <laughs> All fucking day. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then when the when the when the girls would beat up on the one guy and peck him, we would have to go get another meal. Bird, yeah. yeah. See, and that was a question that <laughs> that was a question that Tim Robin Van Howen had that it's well, only gonna be on the first floor, right? They're not gonna be showing upstairs, and that's exactly what it is right now. They're not giving you upstairs, you're not getting to the elevator. Some people were asking about the urn, they're not doing that now. That was something that was discussed at the beginning. They're not doing that. Just ridiculous. Just to worry about security, you know, we'll go about that with on. Um, 
what did he want with the soundstage area? Well, now, you know, it's a soundstage, but what he was wanting, that's where he was going to be having Paisley open up this past summer to have piano microphone shows at Paisley Park. Mm -hmm. And even like the area behind him that used to have the symbol where the piano was in January for those shows, Mm -hmm. he painted over the symbol just so he can have the kaleidoscope there. And that's crazy. That symbol was there for a long time. You know, that's just, yeah, yeah, they put, they carpeted in January for it, all that. Um, This is another question we can't get to it, but if they're listening, they're like, will the museum change after periods of time, displays and items shown on different areas within being open? That's what I would love to happen is it to be changing all the time and it to be different and not the exact same thing every time you go there. In order to do that, they would again have to have people who cared about it, who fact checked, and who were concerned about the accuracy of curating a legacy. That's going to be my standard answer. For and that now, to happen, they right. must fact check it, curate it properly, and be concerned about maintaining a legacy. And I see some people that have questions that are going out there for VIP tickets for October 14th, Tracy Gonzalez-Shuett and Anthony Montez. Again, we don't know what the tour is going to consist of yet to tell you how detailed they will be. Obviously, we'll be finding out more information when people go there October 6th and it's opening. We want this to be done the right way. We are, you know, going to your questions, um, and that's what it goes down to. I knew that he did have workshops at times there. I'd like to see some workshops and some local bands be able to play there, especially because some nights they're going to be open till midnight, you know, doing tours on the weekends. So just interesting stuff, but I'm not sure if they have anything booked yet. And now this whole thing, now they're going to be having, like, his favorite foods on display, or you can order them and other things. Really? So, yeah. You know, really? Yes. <laughs> you know. With soy milk? No, it's be some of the stuff that he had that he had, like the lentil soup and some other things that he had with these cooks over the past two or three years that were there. Okay. Um, yeah, this is all that they want to know. Independent artists, something I just even talked about. Robert Staples had that question. But that's something we'll know in time. Oh, you know, here's a piece of trivia. I don't know if it's important, but most of the stuff I got is about the studios. Mm. When we added the little rooms, we added the little rooms because there was a time when Prince was bringing people up there before they, they hit the big time. So he brought mm. Alicia Keys up there. We he brought it. D'Angelo. He brought a lot of people up there before they had hit big time. One of the things that would happen sometimes, they get into a big studio with him. And it would change all of a sudden. It would, it would be kind of some hesitation. And so when I came, he was like, I would add, I would see these two little rooms off to the side, and I said, "Man, what are you doing with this?" It mm-hmm. used to be Studio C, right? And he says, uh, "Nothing. We just store stuff there." I said, "Can I, you mind if I just? I have an idea. I just want to do something." So it was Studio mm-hmm. C, and then directly on the gym, there's a, a room that used to house tape. It used to just hold tape, and um, that's now Studio D. Well, what I did is I took those and I made small rooms that had every DAW that is currently used. So I had a Mark of the Unicorn, I had Logic, I had Pro Tools, but I had everything that was in use. And But they were small. They were about the size of a bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. Because most of the artists now germinate in a room that's no bigger than this. So mm-hmm. when they get to somebody who's going to check them out, because they might have some possibility of being famous and being an artist... Mm. And they get into a full-blown 99 input SSL with Prince. 
Do you think they're going to, some of them might choke? Yeah, they might choke because they've never been in that kind of environment. They developed right. their skill set in their bedroom. And that's a different occurrence in the last Ooh. 25 years. And so by, by doing that, by creating these rooms, it was a halfway point where he could meet. And you mm. can also understand what it was like to, to develop in those rooms. Consequently, um, you know, when, when I did see, see, I did, it was already a studio years ago when, when Paisley was, was first open. But it had been, the console had been uh, taken out of there and they were just using it to store. So I did a whole different thing in Studio C, which was, was to, uh, Rick and I created a, a console that was basically on a pivot. So you could, you could slide it out of the way if you wanted to. And you could put a whole band in a room because that's another thing that people do now. They put everybody in the same room, right. but a small room. And then the other thing I did is I, I filled the mains with the mains that Prince used to monitor for his concerts. Because the mm -hmm. reason why is when I watched him perform, everybody I always work with, from Herbie to everybody, I always have to see them do create. And then I understand what I got to do and how I right. can make decisions for the technology. Everything Prince writes, he planned on playing. Which means when he wrote, he wanted the power of the stage in the studio. It's a different thing than when a lot of guys write and they just want nuances. They want the, the quiet studio thing. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. He wanted the power of what he was going to deliver. So I put mains in that were, I had Eighth Day send me some, some DMB, what he was using to monitor his shit on stage. And I put it in a wall where he couldn't see it. So he didn't know what it was. <laughs> All he could do was plug it in because he was, he was a big one for that too. Um, I, studio D was a closet. When we finished Studio D and uh, Lisa, Lisa Chamblay wired it up, he ended up cutting the uh, Happy Feet in this little tiny room. Hmm. Won an Emmy, right? But Golden Globe. You know, Golden Globe, right? Golden Globe, sorry. But, but no, that's fine. Didn't get that Emmy. Uh, but, but, um, but, Unfortunately. Um, hey, but, but the bottom line is that he went in a little tiny room and used what was there. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing for us because he had embraced something that wasn't the tape machine. Right. You got to understand, the tape machine was the home run. That's yeah. that's the home run. I bought up all the, the tape that existed right. when I was there. I, I bought a lot of tape. I bought a lot of tape because at that time, uh, one of the major tape manufacturers was, was shutting down. Mm. And so I bought up a lot of tape in Los Angeles. I bought a lot of tape in New York. And I just had it shipped there. Every time I would go home, I would buy up tape and send it to me. Right. And and so uh, the two inch was his his pride and joy of, of recording and doing it. But we integrated uh, Pro Tools so that um, we were running out of tape. That was an eventual thing that was going to happen. And the first time somebody tried to introduce Pro Tools, they didn't do it right. So what I did is I put Pro Tools in the machine room, but I only put it where the meters were visible. And I put it right next to the tape machines. Hmm. So at the point where we were tracking and we were running dangerously close to running out of tape, I said, okay, start to run everything on Pro Tools simultaneously. Hmm. Because they're going to be in here. We're going to run out of tape. We're not going to have any more. And we're just going to have to go on DAWs. And we did that and ran hmm. out. And probably for two days, we were on Pro Tools. And then he finally realized, <laughs> I said, yeah, we've been out of tape for a couple of days. No, there is no more tape, Right. right? Right. So, you know, but we've been on this and he's been working it. And so I had to do it like that because the environment didn't change. But but, you know, he's sensitive to 
to the chain of audio. And we used to have some pretty intense discussions about concepts he wanted to do. When he got out here, um, after he was renting a house out here and doing the 3121 thing, and he had, we had put a studio on the pool house, he was going through a thing where he wanted to, to, to do this Jimi Hendrix exploration thing. So he calls me to the pool house, and we're in Beverly Hills, right, or in Brentwood, some, some rich exclusive place where the house existed, uh, mm-hmm. Beverly Park. Right, 77 Beverly Se- Park. 77 Beverly Park. Yeah, I recognize that rug. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when Rick got the seam put around that rug. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, it was one of you can cut that out the show. <laughs> I don't care. No, um, uh, what what happened was uh, we had uh, we had he called me over there to have this conversation, and he really wanted the power. He kept going about the I need the the power of. The, the what I'm playing in the guitar, the power, the power, the power. I'm like, okay, well, cool. That's I said, but the difference with Jimi Hendrix is that was done in England. And that's 240 volts, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a different experience. I said, now I can step up, transformer, and make 240 volts come out of these walls, and we can simulate 240 volts. I said, but realistically, we're not England, you know. Right. So, so I did one better because I knew he was going to go there. I freaking got on the phone and i got jimmy's engineer on the phone yeah man (laughs) and i said listen man here's what i'm doing you know and he said no way man you guys ought to just get on a plane and go to england (laughs) but inevitably it was you know we would do stuff like that and and uh i i used to like his his intense insistence to try things Right. You know, and and sometimes I would I would seize him. I'd say, hey, man, you, you know, you'd argue gravity if it wasn't for the fact that it kept you on the earth, you know, because if he if it was in his mind to do it, he would want to do it. And I could say anything about Ohm's law and theory and mm-hmm. sound and I need more bass here. I need more this here. You know, I'm like, right. okay. you know, I might not agree with it, but I have to try for it because he's asking for it. Right. And, and so I, uh, you know, and that's why I used to tell the engineer, don't just go with it. Right. It's on me. It's on me because <laughs> because all of them are trying to be the scientists and they're trying to do things the, that way. But there's a certain part you have to lead to the artist. Artists know when their song is done. They know when they hear it hmm. in their head and they know when you, you've manifested it on the recorder. And so you have to respect that. It doesn't have to make sense to, you know, every every time, you know. All right, fans, I want to thank you so much for your questions. Dave, in closing, is there anything that you just want to say or put out there that we may have skipped over, but you want to let out there? Uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed this format. If you ever want to do it again, let me know. Definitely. Um, I'm going to try and get you guys as much stuff as I can to pass on to the fan community because I just want it to be, to be known that there were some pretty special things that, that were – done to allow him to create and keep mm-hmm. creating for as long as he could and uh, you know we all miss him mm-hmm. we all he was very special to everybody but um, I think the best way we can honor him is is by keeping everything around him and everyone around him as honest as possible right in, in the next period of time that's going on and if any of you guys uh, pray pray for their family pray for his family to to yeah. become one and 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 to really just look towards the process that's about to unfold. And I think it'll be good. But, you know, I love the fact that the fans have stayed solid and together all through this. And, and uh, you know, thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah. And lastly, just in case people hear this podcast and they want to know where they can get your books from. 
Oh, you can get my books from uh, Hal Leonard. It's called The Business of Audio Engineering. And uh, I'm, in, I'm working on the third edition right now. And then you can get our speaker products at Reftone online, reftone.com. And uh, you can reach, find out more about me. Just Google Dave Hampton. You, you're getting you got me. it. But anybody can reach me. So I Google them. I don't like when everyone Google me. I hate me. when somebody like says they Google me. I, I, why did I say that? Oh, God. I always people are like, Google. Google. Google me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, but, thank you so yeah. much for your time. No problem. We'll have to have you back on. Everyone Definitely. else, thanks again for listening. Much love to you. We'll be back next week. Keep it funky. Much love, y'all.